Why did Victorians wear protective headgear in the shower? <laughs> what? <laughs> At dangerous times, apparently. <laughs> More than you know. And how many cows were needed to make a medieval Bible? <laughs> Sounds like a moving story. <laughs> <laughs> Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity with fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia. We do this every week for the Cedarburg Public Library in Cedarburg, Wisconsin. Our cause is lifelong learning. That's what we try to encourage here with all of these bits of information we bring to you. And we have lots of fun, too. All right, Marcia, <laughs> how many cows were needed to make a medieval Bible? Well, that's a darn good question, Robert. <laughs> it is an unusual question, isn't it? It comes from Britannica.com's One Good Fact series. How many cows were needed to make the Middle Ages Bible? Well, uh, first question. Why is it worded that way? I don't know. Because the widespread adoption of paper made from wood pulp was after the medieval Bibles. Because medieval Bibles were made from parchment or vellum. Yeah. And vellum was made from animal skins. So... How many uh, okay. <laughs> how many cows were needed to make one of those Bibles okay. in the Middle Ages? Thank you for that addition. Okay, so I'll say one Bible, how many cows? Jeez, I'll say 53 cows. 53 cows. That'd be that's a big incredible Bible. amount of vellum, right? Yes, it is. But now, it's talking, a Bible is, can be very big. We're talking before Gutenberg and the press. Yeah. Okay. okay, so we're talking way, way back. Yeah. The 8th century... A Bible, one large Bible in the 8th century required 515, <laughs> 515 calf skins. Oh, my God. That shows you why those things were so expensive. It wasn't they were just handmade. Look what the material cost. 500 cows had to die to make them. A Bible. Jeez. So think of the king's ransom required to make a Bible. I mean, oh, that the property Lord. for poor people, if you had a cow or two cows, think of 515 cows and you sacrifice them to make a book. Yeah. It must have seemed like a horrible waste of... Yeah, that, that's more than a farmer's lot. Isn't that amazing? Sure. Yeah. But imagine how extravagant, how expensive that must have been. 515. 15 cows wow. to make an 8th century Bible. Okay. Why did Victorians wear protective headgear in the shower? <laughs> what? <laughs> Once Victorians finally discovered baths and showers, and aren't we glad they did, <laughs> <laughs> they went all out and designed ultra-cold showers with shower heads that were designed to deliver a needles-like pounding. Before you dared to get into some of these showers, you had to don a shower helmet to keep from being knocked unconscious really? by, the, by the force of the water. But the water was so concentrated yeah. and focused, yeah. so they they, did, could, they went way overboard right away. Yeah, they did. I think that stuff's crazy now. It's like, <laughs> no, I don't want needles on me. I just want nice water. <laughs> these people would get knocked unconscious, so they had Holy helmets. Holy Helmets like you wear on bicycles. This is in England then, London? Yes. <laughs> That's insane. Okay, well, I wonder what the people up at Kohler would think of those I was things. Say, that did come to my and mind. For those really adventurous. The Kohler Museum, which is full of uh, uh, early showers and bathtubs. Our and gladiator shower head. 
<laughs> Jeez. Well, um, I don't want to be in a battle. I just want to get clean. How about you? Where did you get this? Dave Frixell's book? Yeah. Our the, friend Dave Frixell's book. The Good Old Days, My Ass. Yes, that's the one. <laughs> it does have a lot of fun stuff, doesn't it? It does, yes. Okay. Getting back to the Bible and to presses and books, Marcia, how many different types of technologies were used to read before the first electronic tablet, the iPad, which was introduced in 2007? Now, Britannica.com lists seven different technologies. Can you tell me the names of the different technologies used for reading prior to the electronic tablet? I'll give you one. Paper. Paper, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> what are some of the other technologies? So you're talking about paper. I think of like clay tablets and that's it. Cave walls. Cave walls, I guess. I'll grant you that. I didn't think about that. That was more well, pictographs, right? Pictures and so forth. Perhaps. Yeah. Or, you know, Romans slept here. But in this article, they go way back. Clay tablets, probably the first in Mesopotamia, about 5,000 years ago. The uh, scribes using a stylus to make marks on wet clay tablets. Did you know that the uh, cuneiform writing was actually used for the Epic of Gilgamesh, that (laughs) famous story of the flood that was uh, recorded on clay tablets? I did not know that. Yeah. That's from the 7th century B.C. You can find it in the British Museum. Takes up a lot of space on the old bookshelf. Papyrus rolls. That was in Egypt, of course. Okay. The Egyptian Book of the Dead was recorded on papyrus rolls around 1275 B.C. I never heard of this one. Ostraka. Ever heard of this? No. What is that? It's the plural of ostrakon, bits of pottery or limestone used to jot down business matters. Bamboo tablets, silk scrolls, wax tablets, and codex. Codexes or codices were the last step before the printed book where you'd have these sheets bound together with some kind of fiber or something. So those are the seven technologies prior to the electronic tablet or screens, which we use today. It wasn't like having 500 cows to give up. (laughs) That'd be 500 cows. (laughs) Okay, Bob, ready? Yeah. In Roman times, who were these two famous women, Amazon and Achilla? In Roman times, who were these two famous women? Uh They were both warriors, weren't they? In a manner of speaking, yes. Was Achilla the the English or Anglo-Saxon warrior woman that uh, stood up to the Romans? No. Okay, tell me. Okay. They were both gladiators, or more accurately, gladiatresses. (laughs) I didn't know they had female gladiators. That's that's why I'm talking here. So would you say they're warriors when they were out there performing for amusement? No gladiators. All right. Though these female fights were relatively rare and mostly presented as novelty acts, Literary and archaeological evidence suggests that a select few women received as much reverence as the men did. The most famous example is a bust depicting two gladiatresses using, get this, their stage names. (laughs) It's probably Alice and Gladys, but their stage names were Amazon and Achilla. No kidding. Who fought to a noble draw. So these are two female athletes who are gladiators uh-huh. or gladiatresses. I never thought of that term. Yeah, me either. I didn't know there were female gladiators. Well, that, now you do. That's why we're here. If there's only two mentioned there, there's got to be a lot more behind them. Yeah, well, they said there were others, but uh, these were the most famous. Wow, okay. All right, Marcia, what is the most common pub name in the UK? I thought this was kind oh, of a cute question. Okay. Oh. So I'll give you a choice here. I had a guess first. Can I guess? Sure. The, the Red Lion. How did you know that? Is that really? Yes. 
I was going to give you the White Horse, the Royal Oak, the Village Inn, or the Red Lion. Oh. Those are all big names for pubs. Well, about uh, 200 years ago, I was in Bimini. Uh, it's an island, you know, down there in uh, Bahama area, and there was a downtown British pub called the Red Lion, and it had the arms, and uh, I thought, well, gee, that must be a real common pub in, well, yes. in England. In England, they have roughly 58,000 pubs in the wow. UK, uh-huh. and more are named the Red Lion than any other. 517 are named the Red Lion. That's the, <laughs> that's the biggest number. The name goes back 400 years ago to the 17th century and the reigns of James I and James VI of Scotland. They ordered the Scottish Red Lion to appear on all important buildings. Oh, really? And the Brits decided, what's more important than a pub? (laughs) (laughs) So today, the Red Lion is the name of 517 pubs in England, the most popular above all others. The next most popular is the Royal Oak. With okay. 403. Uh. Got a couple more here. Showing its love of the royal family, London's most popular pub name is the Prince of Wales. Oh, yeah. 29 Absolutely. of those. Mine would be the Prince of Ales, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. In Derbyshire, where my coal mining ancestor, John Oakley, came from, uh-huh. the most popular pub name is the Miner's Arms. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah. Go further north in Great Manchester, the railway is a name for a pub that could be due to the fact that that was the home of the first scheduled passenger rail service. So the railway is their number one pub name in Manchester. Over to Wales, they have the Three Horseshoes and the Scottish Borders. You'll find the Cross Keys. And then down in Ireland, County Down, you'll come across the bridge. Those are the big names of pubs in UK. uh, Right. But the most popular, like you said, was the Red Lion. Do you remember seeing one when we were in England? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. In what city will you find 17 water fountains that dispense sparkling water? Sparkling water? (laughs) Yeah. Who knew? It's carbonated water? Yeah. Yeah, sparkling water. And is this something that's manufactured for them, or is it naturally carbonated? No, it's bicarbonated. Okay. Um, I don't know. I say Rome for some reason, but that's probably wrong. Well, where is this? Is it in Europe? It's Paris, France. Oh, okay. Sparkling water fountains began in Italy around 2009, but actually the idea was tailor-made for France. Why? Why would you say that? That's where some of the famous brands of water came from, Evian and Perrier. But the city has the ultimate goal of installing at least one sparkling water fountain in all their different 20 districts. And so far, they're doing well. They have 17. Wow. They're very popular, and they save a lot of plastic waste a year, they figure, because people can have their sparkling water. If you like sparkling water. Yeah, which I detest. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not crazy about it. Oh, where in America, Bob, will you find the city of fountains? The city of fountains in, yeah. the, in America. Uh-huh. The city of fountains. They've got the big fountains down in the Grant Park in Chicago, but that's probably not it. Let's do something like Kansas City or... That's it. Is it Kansas City? Yeah, it's good for you. What made you say that? I don't know. I just... They have other distinctions. It's Kansas City has the World War One Museum. They have a few other things like that. And I thought, well, I bet they have fountains there. They do. And when I was there a few years ago to visit my buddy Teresa, uh-huh. heck of a lot of fountains there, I'll tell you that. Beautiful fountains. Yes. All right. So we got fountains, we've got pubs, now we have volcanic eruptions. Okay, that's <laughs> gladiatrices. Yes. My question, where do you have to go to see the largest volcanic eruptions? <laughs> I'm hiding a lot of jokes in my head with that one. Okay, where do you have to go to see the most the largest volcanic, volcanic eruptions? Alaska. 
No. Hawaii. No. Europe. No. Where? You go to a telescope. Oh, because uh, they're happening in the outer planets, space, of course, in our solar system. Yeah, it's not fair. No, that's the truth. You the largest me. volcanic eruptions in our solar system are on a moon of Jupiter. Jupiter's moon Io is the most volcanically active body in the solar system. How big are the eruptions? How? Large enough to be seen from telescopes on Earth. Huh. Well, okay, Bob. Why is organized obstruction of legislation called a filibuster? Where does that word come from? Oh, that's a good one. Hey, Buster. That's a pretty arcane term, isn't it? Filibuster. Filibuster. So does bust mean to stop? And fella means it's not Philadelphia, Buster. I don't know. <laughs> where, where did that come from? Well, it's from the Spanish word F-I-L-I-B-U-S-T-E-R-O. That's Filibustero. good. Filibustero. Filibustero. Excuse my pronunciations, which is a word they use when referring to, get this, pirates in the West Indies. No kidding. That's where it's from, pirates. Filibuster was first used to describe obstruction tactics in the U.S. Senate in 1851 Hmm. because those who were holding up the passage of a bill until their demands were met were likened to pirates. Oh, no kidding. (laughs) So back in the middle 1800s, they said, they're like pirates, they're holding up, filibusterios. And everybody knew what that meant probably back then. Or or the learned people of the Congress knew what it meant. Knew what it meant, yeah. Filibusteros. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. F-I-L-I-B-U-S-T-E-R-O. Okay. Filibustero. So I bet you know this one. Who holds the record for the longest filibuster? I thought it was Strom Thurmond or somebody like that. That's right. How How long? Gosh, I don't know. How did it go on? 12 hours or something? Double that. 24 hours? And eight minutes. That's right. 24 hours and eight minutes in 1957. Can you imagine somebody talking that much? No. Other than me. And well, and you know what his reason was? (laughs) What? To obstruct civil rights legislation. Of course. Ah, He was big on that. Isn't that special? Wow. Okay. I totally pivot to something else before we take a break. Okay. Who was the first sexiest man alive named by People magazine? I I can give you choices. Mel Gibson, Patrick Swayze, Tom Cruise, or Sean Connery. And here's a hint. They were all... The year was 1985. Mel Gibson, Patrick Swayze, Tom Cruise, or Sean Connery. (laughs) I'll say Sean Connery. You're wrong. (laughs) It was uh, Mel Gibson. That's right. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Sexiest Man Alive. That's People Magazine's benchmark for male attractiveness. Uh The origin of the title was a discussion of a planned story on Mel Gibson. So they said, you know, he's kind of the sexiest man alive. Like, well, let's call it that. <laughs> that's, so yeah, that's, that's, a, that's when they started using that term. And it's a big seller every year. Yeah. Okay. So Mel Gibson was the first sexiest man alive for People magazine. What the year, year was, was the... 1985. 85. Oh, okay. And weren't we married then? Yes, we were, Marsh. I didn't pay attention. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's take a break. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha. Smith. Okay, Boomer. I'm Robert Rickman, host of OK Boomer with Robert. Yes, we like to enlighten you with colorful features, Boomer news, Boomer history, but we will also mystify you. And this one coming up in 24, that's going to be really creepy. That's an astronomer standing at ground zero where the 2017 and 2024 eclipse paths will cross over Carbondale, Illinois, the home of OK Boomer with Robert. And you can find OK Boomer with Robert wherever you get your podcasts. We're back with the sexiest man alive. (laughs) My Uh, Bob Smith. (laughs) Okay, we're back. Bob and Marcia Smith 
We do this every week for the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin. We call it the off-ramp, and then we put it on podcast platforms and goes all over the world. We'd love to have you visit us at our website, theofframp.show, and you can subscribe to our show. And then every time on your podcast app that we uh, put out a new show, it will signal that. You'll know that. Bob, when a person is facing serious trouble, why are they said to be in dire straits? Dire Straits, one of my favorite bands back in the uh, Was it? 80s. Yeah, But uh, this goes back to what you say. So many word origins come from these several things, and this is one of those several things. Dire Straits, I bet it was a, uh, a straits, which are uh, uh, places in the um, sea. Yes. Where uh, I, think it, I think it refers to the tip of South America, the well, dire straits down there. Very dangerous places. Well, you, you pretty much have it. Straits is a Middle English word that was used by sailors to describe a tight, narrow, difficult channel to maneuver. So yeah. it can be anywhere. The term originally meant facing an obstacle that was very hard to overcome in places such as the Bering Strait or the Strait of Gibraltar. Yes. And so that's... Uh, Strait of the, Gibraltar is where you go into the Mediterranean from yeah. the Atlantic. Yeah. Very tight yeah. channel there. And that's uh, where the word came from, dire straits. Oh, okay. All right, Marcia. So every jot and tittle, you've heard of that. <laughs> You ever heard that term? Sure. In which of these letters can you find a tittle? Okay. All right. Think of the letters. Yeah. An A, I, Z, or P. I. Why would you call it? Because that little dot above the I. That's right. That is that's a, a tittle. That's a tittle. <laughs> uh, uh, the English expression, every jot and tittle means every small detail has received attention. And a tittle is a superscript, usually a dot, a small distinguishing mark, or a letter. So in the case of O, I, Z, and P, only the I has a tittle, the dot that's the small distinguishing mark hanging over it. What's another letter that has a, a dot? A dot? A J. J. That's another one, right. All right. Bob, who am I? Time for that portion of the show. Here we go. Marcia <laughs> describes a person of note. Okay. I think you'll get this okay. pretty quick. That's right. why I'll just give you the f- half of the first sentence to see if you can get it there. Okay. He was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom posthumously in 1994. After he died, okay, posthumously in 1994. Uh, hmm. Okay, go ahead. He, he was awarded it for recognition uh, for his nonviolent activism and support of the working people. Mart- Martin Luther King Jr.? No. Okay. Okay. He started the National Farm Workers Association. Oh, Cesar Chavez. Yes. Okay. He led strikes and nationwide boycotts of lettuce and grapes to win better conditions for field workers. Cesar Chavez. He lived 1927 to 1993. National Farm Workers later became the United Farm Workers. That's right. Uh, Do you remember not having uh, lettuce? Yeah, when there were strikes, right. And grapes? Yeah. Did that mean a cut down in the wine? No, it meant my salads kind of gotten. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I'm not a wine drinker, so yeah, but uh, that I, much, so yeah. I was short on wine, and I'll you were you. short on salads. <laughs> my salads were, were suffering. <laughs> What's going on with that Caesar guy? Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I mentioned Martin Luther King Jr. I have an interesting fact. What's unusual about how Martin Luther King Jr. and his wife, Coretta, spent their first night of marriage? <laughs> well, Bob, isn't that a little personal? Uh, what's unusual about it? They were on a march, maybe? no. Okay, uh, you got me. It had to do with uh, what you talked about earlier, civil rights, segregation and everything. Uh-huh. 
because no local hotel would accommodate them. They slept in the car or something? Martin Luther King Jr. and his wife Coretta spent the first night of their marriage in the guest bedroom of a funeral parlor. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, they did that because no hotel near Marion, Alabama would give them a room. That's just Yeah, that's that's what things awful. were like back then. Yeah. Okay. All right, Bob. Here's some presidential teasers for you. You should get both of these. Who was the only president to earn an MBA from the Harvard Business School? That's uh, George Bush Jr., the George du- W. Bush. That's correct. And who was the only president to win a Rhodes Scholar to Oxford University? That's Bill Clinton. That's right. And that's it. All right. <laughs> you remember back during the pandemic... Remember the quarantine we all went through? Of course. There were some of them were awkward. Yes. For some couples, for instance. <laughs> How about this? What famous writer had to spend a quarantine cooped up with his wife and his mistress? <laughs> wow. Now this is in nineteen twenty six. Oh, he's probably single now and living happily alone. Uh well tell me. It was Ernest Hemingway. When was that? During this is what? 1926. Now, early in the summer of 1926, Ernest Hemingway's first wife, Hadley, was quarantined in France with their son. He'd contracted whooping cough. And on May 21st, she wrote to her husband, who was in Spain, to inform him she had invited a rather surprising house guest, Hemingway's mistress, Pauline Pfeiffer. And guess what? She came. He did come. They were all three there. Can you believe that? Yeah, apparently uh, the Hemingways had been living in Paris for a few years already, and Hadley recently had discovered her husband had been carrying on an affair with Pfeiffer. She was a Vogue editor. Uh, Hadley was meek and matronly, and she was spirited and stylish. Oh, Ernie. Though Hadley was not happy about the infidelity, she ultimately accepted that her husband planned to continue both relationships. But she wrote to her husband, she goes, this is a swell joke on the world if you and Effie and I spend the summer together. Well, guess what? They did. (laughs) Apparently, Pfeiffer often crawled into bed with the Hemingways for breakfast. What started out as a, quote, swell joke eventually proved too much for Hadley's relationship with her husband, and they divorced in 1927. Well, good going, Hadley. (laughs) No kidding. So there's a way to spend a quarantine with your mistress (laughs) and your wife. All we ever did was start the off-ramp during quarantine. (laughs) Oh, that was fun. I'm glad we did that. Me too. Okay, Bob. Foe, rice noodle soup is the national dish of which country? Vietnam. Is it South Korea, (laughs) (laughs) India? It's Vietnam. (laughs) Well, I knew that because we have that Vietnamese pho restaurant that opened up here in town. I know. I was going to know. It's been there for several years. Oh, that's funny. I I was just seeing if you paid attention. Yes, I did. All right, good. Yeah, P-H-O, pho. Yeah. Pho. Okay, Marcia, how did Lenny Bruce influence the writing of the musical Fiddler on the Roof? Well, that's curious. I thought you were going to say something about Mrs. Maisel, but no. Well, okay. we know he influenced that show. Yeah, yeah but uh, Fiddler on the Roof, uh, uh, having a clue. Well, when he was writing Fiddler on the Roof, Sheldon Harnick said he refrained from including much Yiddish. And the reason is he saw Lenny Bruce use Yiddish in his act, and he noticed it either caused laughter or confusion. Uh-huh. And in Fiddler, if any Yiddish elicited unintentional chuckles, he removed it from the script. He didn't want any confusion or uh-huh. distraction uh-huh. from the story. Yeah. So uh-huh. Lenny Bruce influenced Fiddler on the Roof. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
what do these animals all have in common? All right. Coyotes, Atlantic puffins, puffins are so cute, shingleback lizards, gray wolves, bald eagles, and Eurasian beavers. Wow. <laughs> I think I've heard of all those except the shingle-backed, shingle-backed what? Lizards. Shingle-backed lizards. They're the ones with all the shingles on their back. Yeah. Shing- okay, yeah. gotcha. All right, what's the question again? What do they all have in common? They're all animals. That is good. They're all mammals. They all fly. No, they don't all fly. <laughs> Pippins fly. I don't know. What is it? They're all native to one particular place? No. They're all married? Yes, they are. What? They all mate for life. Oh, no kidding. That is the answer. It's a long-term commitment. Wow. And it can be very clearly seen with bald eagles especially and their nesting attributes. Hmm. The largest bird nest ever encountered is in Florida and measures nine and a half feet long and 20 feet deep. Wow. That's their age in place home. <laughs> nine and a half feet long and 20 feet deep. Can you believe it? Wow. That's a little pair of... Uh, That's huge. It's huge. I couldn't believe it. You know what obsigamy means? That's a word I came across in obsigamy? my... Obsigamy? Yeah. How do you spell o- that? O-P-S-I-G-A-M-Y. It's like bigamy, only it's not bigamy? Right. Let's see, bigamy is more than one. It's living with multiple mates. It just means having a marriage in old age. Oh, is that right? Yeah, never oh. never heard of that one. No. It's just when you have a marriage when you're really old. Obsigamy. Sounds like a disease, though, doesn't it? <laughs> Suffering from obsigamy. <laughs> hey, speaking of marriages and weddings, here's one from the things change category. What did 94% of brides and grooms recently say played a major role in their wedding planning? 94%. This comes from a survey. 94% said this played a role. A major role uh, in their wedding planning. Well, I would hope, but I doubt it's true. Money. No. Social media. Oh. Especially Instagram and TikTok. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Here's, here's where he proposed. Here's where he did this. Here's our reveal. Yeah. Today, couples not only hire wedding photographers, they also hire content creators. Oh, for God's To sakes. produce posts for Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, Facebook, and other platforms. Couples get edited reels, highlight reels, hundreds of unedited photos, and short-form video sent overnight via Dropbox or Google Drive. One bride said, one of the best experiences my husband and I had after our wedding was waking up the next morning to 800 pictures and videos to review. Oh my God. Isn't that amazing? And the new professionals are called wedding content creators. And you and I, we had our very simple ceremony where we... Eloped. Yeah, that yeah. was fun. Yeah. Didn't no fuss, to, no fuss. We didn't even tell anybody. What we did was in advance, we had a friend of ours, Jack McCullough, design a card with our picture on it, and we announced our elopement. Afterwards. And we stuffed all of our uh, fellow workers' mailboxes at our places of work with those on that Saturday afternoon after we got married. And then everybody opened a Monday morning and was like, what? But that was the extent of our promotion of our well, wedding. After the fact. Yeah, not a big deal. <laughs> I thought it was extravagant at the time. Just a different mindset. It's, it's a, different a different mindset. You know, everybody's seeing things. Everybody's a celebrity with the new media. Yeah. Why do you want to be a celebrity? Well, people like that, Marsh. Okay. Why well, don't you like that? I just don't. That's why I'm on radio and not TV. Okay. All right. Speaking of love, I got a good closing quote. Okay. By Sophie Munro. The brain is the most outstanding organ. 
It works 24-7, 365, from birth until you fall in love. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when it stops working. And that's it. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Hence my commentary on the lavish weddings. <laughs> All right. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again next time when we return with more fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia here on The, the Off-Ramp. Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin. Visit us on the web at theofframp.show.